1: about it for a moment think just through our lifetime the heinous events that have taken place The mass murders the dictators the vicious killers have any of you ever thought that yeah there's some that are not worthy of God's grace let me ask you this morning have you thought about yourself because you're not worthy of God's grace either, and neither am I. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the unjust.
0: Whenever we think that somebody is not worthy of God's grace, we are acting just like the Pharisees. In today's study, Pastor David will teach us that the Lord never feels that way about a person. Jesus taught the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin to make the point about his heart for the lost. God will put all of his effort into rescuing every single one of us. He was trying to convey to the Pharisees that not only does he rejoice in rescuing one sheep, but his friends should also rejoice with him. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The God of Redemption.
1: Now, uh, by way of full disclosure, I need to let you know that uh, this first little example I'm going to give you, it's not by personal experience, it's uh, at best secondhand, surely thirdhand, but I just want to be full disclosure so you fully understand. But from what I hear, when people go to the gym, you know that place. Those that are serious about going to the gym actually put their body into physical pain. They work through the pain to do what? To get a better result at the end. If they went there and never felt the pain or the strain, then that means that those physical muscles aren't being stretched and broken down and built back up. And so they go to the gym and they work out, they work out, put their body through the pain, work through the pain, continue to work out. But from what I also hear is every once in a while, you need to stop and let your body kind of rebuild itself. You're at the gym, you're breaking down the muscle, now you have to stop, let things kind of come back together. Well, I feel like the studies that we've been doing here in the Gospel According to Luke have been like going to the gym on the painful days. We've had some tough, tough lessons as we've gone through this portion of the gospel. As Jesus has been literally drawing a line in the sand and says, if you're going to be my disciple, here's the line. You're either in or you're out. You're either following me or you're not. You're either serious about your walk or you're not. And you can't fool yourself, and you're definitely not going to fool God In your walk in Him, and we've gone through some really, really tough things as we've looked at this. And I've had people through these last several weeks. Wow, Pastor, that was a really tough. It was a good message, but boy, it was really, really tough. And I just want to let you know, uh, it's a tough message on me. The week prior, before you get it, okay? Uh, So, in in that sense, I've been to the gym already. So, but today is one of those recoup days, okay? Today is one of those days that we come and man, it's not a Hard, it's not a pound, You're not going to walk out of here hopefully with that feeling that man, I just been through the ringer and one more time he's read my mail and he's telling everybody about it. Okay, I want you to be challenged in your life, and I think that our life needs to be challenged. I think that we, as as believers in Christ, every once in a while, we need to take that survey of our walk, we need to take a survey of the commitment of our life to Christ. There's no doubt that Jesus draws that very clear line in reference to his call, and, and what our commitment to that call is. But you know, sometimes that gets really, it's easy to get frustrated. And some feel that their personal walk uh, because of the abundance of their failures because of all the detours in their life man it, it's easy to get frustrated it's easy to understand how some would want to give up they they'd want to quit like You know, that third day in the gym, okay? It's like, whoa, this is just like way too tough. And you back out, you bail out. Well, some in their Christian walk, they get to that point. They want to give up. They feel they can never really measure up to the standards of what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. To finally come, or, or to once again come to that realization that the activity in an organization like the church, or even the support of an organization like the church with your time and your talents and your treasure, that still doesn't measure up to what it means to be and to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. But just as the Bible study that we've gone through and and your own personal reading of the Word, just as the Word of God shows us the depth of the depravity of our own heart, the weaknesses of our flesh, our inability to even keep the vows that we've made before the Lord, so it also shows us the greatness of the grace of our God. It shows us the greatness of His love. It shows us the expanse of his long-suffering toward us because of the greatness of that love. You don't have to be a student of the Bible very long to realize that the God of the Bible is holy. He is just. He is a righteous God. But there's also no doubt that our God is a long-suffering, gracious, patience, and full of compassion. That is our God. All of these attributes then working together in showing the greatness of who God is and the greatness of his grace that works within our lives through faith in that completed work of Jesus Christ. So we have all of these things of God working together to draw us to him so that you and I might come in absolute faith and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. The Pharisees, of the day of Jesus. They either didn't understand the grace of God or they just vehemently disagreed that God could be that gracious that He would allow them to be saved. You need to understand the mindset of the Pharisees, oh, I can understand God would save me, after all. You know, look at me. I'm I'm a good keeper of the law. I'm I'm I I, I behave myself. I'm upstanding in my community. Surely I can understand why God would save me, but I just don't understand why he would save you. And that's the mindset of the Pharisees. And that was the battle that was going on during the time of Jesus' ministry here on earth. The message of their words, the demonstration of their lives declared that God had a standard which if you did not live up to that standard, you couldn't be a part of God's kingdom. But their understanding was only partly true. Yes, God does have a standard. Absolutely he has a standard. And yet it was nothing like what the Pharisees thought it was, and it was definitely not how they interpreted that standard in the lives of other people. And you see, they were very strong or very uh, harsh on the lives of other people. They could point out that speck in your eye even with the great beam that was in theirs. That's the kind of harshness that the Pharisees were. They knew God had a standard, and they wanted to make sure that you knew that standard, and also to know that you probably weren't living up to that standard as well as they were. But the other thing, it's clear that through God's word that we ourselves, none of us could ever live up to that standard. And that's why Christ died in our place, that the work of God's abundant grace, that, again, that severe mercy that we've spoken about over these last weeks, severe on Christ, merciful to us, that that grace and that severe mercy might be accomplished even in the lives of men and women just like you and me. That because of the greatness of his love, he's willing to do that. The Pharisees, these lawyers, these scribes, they they couldn't or They wouldn't see the truth. They they couldn't or they wouldn't see the multitude of the Old Testament declarations and the prophecies that spoke of the need of the fulfillment of that sacrificial system to come by way of the Messiah. They neglected to hear, they neglected to pay heed to the words like in Isaiah chapter 53 when Isaiah is speaking about the coming of Messiah and he writes these words in reference to the Messiah. He says surely he has borne our griefs he has carried our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was wounded because of our transgressions he was bruised because of our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed All of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each one of us have turned. We've we've gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, that's a whole different concept of who Messiah is from what the Pharisees were actually looking for. They were looking for the the military conqueror, the one that would come in on the white stallion to defeat the Romans and to give them the freedom that they desired to have. But Jesus came to set them free internally and eternally, rather than just simply in a temporary way. To the Pharisees, to the lawyers, to the scribes, God's kingdom was only available to the Jew and only to those that maintain themselves as righteous, uh, those who were able, or at least on the outside able, to keep the law. They couldn't grasp, they couldn't understand why Jesus was continually reaching out and loving those that they knew were unworthy of God's grace. Let me ask you something real quick this morning. You ever seen anyone that you think, that person's definitely not worthy of God's grace. Think about it for a moment. Think just through our lifetime, the heinous events that have taken place. The mass murders, the dictators, the vicious killers. Have any of you ever thought that, yeah, there's some that are not worthy of God's grace? Let me ask you this morning, have you thought about yourself? Because you're not worthy of God's grace either, and neither am I. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the unjust. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from nearly all unrighteousness, right? All unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness. And since all are unworthy, yet the blood of Christ cleanses all. He can bring within his kingdom those that come before him. To the Jew... To the leadership of the Jews, to these Pharisees, these lawyers, these scribes, they knew they had earned God's grace. God owed them their personal salvation because they had worked so hard at it. They simply did not want to or did not understand what grace and mercy truly meant. And so we see this continued conflict of the Pharisees as they maintain this continuing battle against Jesus, his ministry, his message, his life to the very end. We see here this morning, we are in Luke chapter 15. I invite you to turn there. We see in Luke 15, they're complaining about the work of his ministry, the extent of his compassion. And so Jesus gives them three parables to help them see if they would be willing to see. The tax collectors, the sinners, they saw it, they understood it. They saw and they experienced his compassion being lived out toward them, and that's what drew them to him. And so here in Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents." and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Basically, you need to understand sheep are foolish, okay? I I think they have small brains. I don't know. I've never dissected one, but I I think they probably have small brains. They're, They're relatively foolish. I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible refers to believers as sheep, but it's just a personal opinion on that. sheep are foolish they'll start eating in a way and they're they're in the nice herd of sheep here a flock of sheep a the covey of sheep whatever the sheep are they're they're all together sheep and they start eating and pretty soon this one's eating and he's eating and he's eating he's wandering he's wandering wandering and over all of a sudden where'd everybody go He's wandered away from the flock because, again, he's been more focused on his own desires and his own cares than anything else, and so now he's lost. Now he's far away from all the others. How easy it is for you and I to be that way, even as sheep. We don't intend to run away, but suddenly we realize because we've not been focused on the directions of the shepherd, we've been eating and eating and eating, and uh, all of a sudden we're wandered all the way over here, and we look around and Where's the other sheep? Where's the shepherd? We are prone to wander. That's just the way it is. The hymn writer Robert Robinson, he understood that back in the 1700s when he wrote the words, To Come Thou Fount. One of the verses says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh till death shall lose me, I cannot proclaim it well. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Oh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. This one sheep had wandered from the fold, and the good shepherd, he cares about the sheep. You need to understand, he. In the leaving of the 99, he doesn't uh, disregard their safety. He's not negligent of his duties there. The parable doesn't go deep enough or stretch out long enough for us to understand. But if he is a good shepherd, which I believe is what Jesus is speaking about here, undoubtedly he left those 99 in good care of under-shepherds or others. They were going to be safe while he went to search out that one that was lost. Even as one sinner is in need of a Savior the shepherd goes out to find that one sheep. And when he finds him, there's rejoicing. You need to understand that the shepherd rejoices. Why? Because he found that sheep that was lost. I believe that the sheep probably rejoices too because he's back in the arms of the shepherd. He's back safe in the fold of the sheep. The friends of the shepherd rejoice here. And in the same way, heaven rejoices over the salvation of even one sinner. You need to catch that, that there's rejoicing even of the friends of the shepherd when a sinner or when that one sheep is found. Because these Pharisees, as they're listening to this parable, you need to understand they didn't feel the need to repent. But this one sheep that came, he knew that repentance was necessary. And when it took place, there was rejoicing. But again, as he says, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Did the Pharisees need repentance? Absolutely, they did. But not in their own mind. In their own mind, they were fine. They were okay. Not a problem. But Jesus knew no repentance was necessary even for them. He follows this on with the parable of the lost coin up in verse 8. Jesus says, "Or, or what woman, having ten coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost." Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Warren Wiersbe tells us that when a young Jewish girl of that time, when she finally gets married, she begins wearing a a headband with ten silver coins to signify that she's now a wife. And it was kind of the Jewish version of our modern wedding ring. And it would be considered an absolute calamity for her to, to lose one of those coins. You know, that was a major thing. These houses of that time, they were dark. It's kind of difficult to find just one coin. But it says that she would light a lamp. She would search and sweep until she found that one lost coin. And you can imagine, man, if it's, how many of you women have ever lost your wedding ring? You know the situation, or the stone out of your wedding ring. And I remember when we were first married, if my wife would have lost the stone in her wedding ring, we'd have never found that thing. It was like <laughs> minuscule. But you can understand just the anxiety, uh, just the, the sadness, everything that's going on in this woman's house if she lost that coin. The word translated as coin here in the English, it comes from the Greek word drachma. And it's considered the, the drachma, the coin, the drachma, was considered to be a normal day's wage during the time of Jesus. Say it was equivalent, say, well, just $100. Say $100. Let me ask you this. If you lost $100 this afternoon, you knew it was in your house, but you lost that $100. Do you think you'd take time to go look for it and find it? Well, absolutely. That, that, that'd be crazy. to Ah, well, it's $100. Bucks. No, I think, well, again, and then when we found it, we'd be so excited about it because, again, that which was lost, you'd now found. Well, Jesus tells us that that one coin was so important that this woman stopped everything that she was doing. And she lit a lamp, she swept the house, she searched carefully for it until she found it, and then once she found it, again, great rejoicing takes place. The woman rejoiced, as well as her friend's and the neighbors, you can imagine again the joy if you found your wedding ring, just the joy in all of that, or or you found a day's wages that you thought you lost. Once again, Jesus speaking to these Pharisees, who, who cared very little about anyone else, and he, particularly they did not care for these tax collectors and for these sinners. Jesus tells them that even the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents. It's interesting, the friends of the one who found that coin, they rejoice, but these Pharisees aren't rejoicing in any of it. Ought to tell us what the relationship these Pharisees have truly with God. Again, speaking to their heartlessness, their coldness toward those that were so lost. They felt that they were above these people. They felt that they were above these situations. And so Jesus tells this one other parable, probably one of the most famous parables of all of Jesus' parables that we have before us, the parable of the prodigal son. Look at verse 11 with me if you would. And then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the young son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. This is such a familiar story, but it's not just a Bible story. It's not just a parable. I think it's probably a story that every one of us can connect with in one way or another. Either we've been prodigals, or we know someone who's been a prodigal. Or a little bit later, we're going to look at the older brother. Maybe we're the older brother, and we'll see the situation with him in a little bit. You've got to understand that at this point in time, for this young man to come up and say, I want to divide the inheritance, I want my part of the inheritance, was completely against the social order of that day. It was an inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? Well, after the one who has the inheritance dies.
0: We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word.
1: Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow.
0: Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.